I'd like us to start by listening again to our Old Testament reading from the prophet Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of your people? He does not remain angry forever because he delights in showing loyal love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will hurl all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will be loyal to Jacob and extend your loyal love to Abraham, which you promised to our ancestors long ago. Micah here uses some of the most beautiful, powerful images for forgiveness to be found anywhere in Scripture or other literature. What is forgiveness? It's when your own acts of wrongdoing are passed over, tread underfoot and conquered, then hurled into the bottomless depths of the sea. This vision, this possibility of forgiveness, is one of the main factors that has drawn many of us to become Christians, to follow Jesus. It continually draws us back to God when we wander away from Him. And even for non-Christians, the idea of forgiveness is at least attractive, even if for some reason God is not. The images Micah uses here are intentionally evocative of real moments in Israel's history, especially God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. On the night of the first Passover in the book of Exodus, The Israelites are are said to have placed the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of their homes, and the angel of God passed over their homes. This is the same word that Micah uses to speak of God's forgiveness. He passes over. And this angel of God shields the Israelites from death, the death that the Egyptians must suffer. Then the Israelites escape into the wilderness with the Egyptians hot on their tail. God parts the waters of the Red Sea and he opens the way to their freedom. But their death-hungry pursuers, the Egyptians, are then cast into the sea, hurled into the sea. And this historical event has an all-encompassing reality for humanity, past, present, future. Sin is our death-hungry enemy, but God promises to tread it underfoot and cast it into the sea. This morning we're continuing a series in the Minor Prophets, this collection of books at the end of the Old Testament, and we're looking at major themes within them. Forgiveness is certainly one of these themes. The prophet Micah's name is actually an entire question in the Hebrew. The question is, who is like Yahweh? And the question at the start of our passage today, who is a God like you, is an echo of Micah's name. And the answer to the question of what makes this God unique, the God of the Bible, of Judeo-Christian faith, is that this God loves to show mercy. He takes delight in showing steadfast love. God's reflex is love. All other gods, made as they are by our own idolatrous imaginations, are fickle. They're kind one moment, cruel the next. 
But this God, this God is constant in his desire to extend love. So this morning, we're going to explore this question within the prophet Micah. What is forgiveness? Now, this topic is one of those that builds a bridge between Christian faith and the world we live in. The world loves the notion of forgiveness. For the most part, we all do. Why wouldn't we love forgiveness, especially when it's applied to us? But there is always the danger of taking a theme like forgiveness and twisting it into our own image, keeping the parts we like, cutting off the parts we don't like. That's why we need to start by zooming out into the larger vision of this book in the Bible. And here, when we zoom out, we find a first answer, albeit a negative one. What is forgiveness? Well, first, forgiveness is not ignoring sin. It's not ignoring sin. When we talk about forgiveness, whether it's God's forgiveness of us or our forgiveness of others, we are not talking about ignoring a wrong that's been done. The layout of the book of Micah actually reflects the whole nature of forgiveness. So to reach the passage that we've heard this morning from the end of the book of Micah about God's great mercy, you first have to trudge through some embarrassingly honest descriptions of Israel's transgressions. For instance, chapter 3 of Micah, you detest justice and you make crooked all that is straight. You build your city with others' blood and with your iniquity. The leaders give judgment for a bribe. The priests teach for a price, which means the priest will change their teaching based on who's paying them. Micah actually tells the people that the only preacher suited for them is one who utters wind and lies, who preaches about wine and strong drink. It was around this time that the Israelites asked Micah to take early retirement from his work of preaching. Seriously, he was asked to stop preaching, and he wasn't the only minor prophet asked to stop preaching. There is a temptation for all of us to appreciate forgiveness, to hope for it, to expect it, even to give it apart from any real naming of sin, our own or someone else's. Christians are often called on from outside, even from inside the church, to exercise mercy and forgiveness, but to do this without questioning anyone else's behavior. The problem is that this version of forgiveness has no integrity to it. Mercy, without a possibility of justice, of some kind of negative consequence, is absolutely meaningless. Mercy always makes sense when there's a possibility of justice, judgment. So forgiveness, too, is empty without a recognition and admission of wrong. Forgiveness is not ignoring sin, our own or others. To experience God's forgiveness in our lives, we must first allow him to shine a spotlight on our sin. We must be willing to see our sin the way he sees it, agree with him that it is wrong, 
And likewise, to practice forgiveness means we're willing to recognize a wrong that's done against us, yet we're still willing to react in the way that God does with a persistent offer of love and mercy toward those who have wronged us. This is the way we must learn to understand forgiveness in close relationships as Christians, with a spouse or a close friend. We can't expect a spouse or close friend to completely ignore our transgressions. We can't expect that. And also, they shouldn't expect that of us. Now, admittedly, seeing forgiveness this way is dangerous. It could be interpreted as a divine appointment to be a nag. It's my job to remind my spouse of their faults. We could take it as our own personal duty to keep track of others' transgressions. Now, this is why it's essential to see the full picture of forgiveness, not just the nice parts of actually being forgiven, nor only the difficult parts of having your need of forgiveness exposed. We need a full picture. So forgiveness first, it's not ignoring sin. Instead, this is the second point, forgiveness is always sacrificial. It is always sacrificial. In our passage in Micah, we hear that this God pardons iniquity, and passes over transgression. And when we hear that he passes over transgression, we might be tempted to think that God will overlook some sin of ours, that his passing over our sin means he's willing to choose to ignore it and still love us. And this is where we cut forgiveness off at its roots and it loses its power. God's way of pardoning and passing over sin finds its meaning within the biblical story. So within this story, to pardon someone's sin means you're willing to bear it yourself. To take responsibility for that person's sin. The Lord's passing over of sin only becomes possible because He takes responsibility for the sin. Now remember again the story of the exodus from Egypt. The Lord passed over the Israelites after they put the blood of the lamb on their homes. Now, that lamb becomes like a Where's Waldo character in the Bible. When you read the Bible, look for the lamb. He appears again in a prophecy of Isaiah that there would be a righteous one, another sacrificial lamb who would cause many to be accounted as righteous. He would bear their iniquities. He will be numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, says Isaiah, but he bears the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Forgiveness is an inherently sacrificial act. It means to bear another person's wrong. Even for human beings, to offer forgiveness is to be willing that something that was owed to me is owed to me no more. What I was entitled to get back, I relinquish, so that the debt of the other becomes my loss. Their problem becomes my problem too, which is an act of substitution. That is the nature of forgiveness. 
Uh, this type of forgiveness was dramatically enacted several weeks ago in the case of Amber Geiger, the off-duty Dallas police officer who walked into the wrong apartment. Many of you will have heard this story. She walked into the wrong apartment and shot and killed Botham Jean in his apartment. At her sentencing, Botham's brother, Brant, younger brother, late teens, early 20s, he expressed genuine and sacrificial forgiveness toward his brother's killer. He chose to absorb the pain that she inflicted on him and his family without remaining bitter and angry at her. It was this situation that was charged with all kinds of questions and conflict. It was easier for him to express forgiveness than the world itself after he did this. In all this swamp of questions and conflict, he displayed something pure and childlike, sacrificial mercy. If you haven't seen this video, you need to see it. And regardless of the layers of the situation that can be debated, every conversation that Christians enter into about this kind of forgiveness should at least begin by acknowledging this. That type of forgiveness is beautiful beyond this world. That's where you have to start. You can talk about all kinds of issues later, but you need to start right here. That kind of forgiveness is beautiful beyond this world. Humanly speaking, this kind of forgiveness has limits. So in our gospel reading, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Now, know this. When Peter says seven times, he's trying to impress Jesus. That's the high end of what Peter's willing to forgive. On a good day, he can forgive that many times. But Jesus says no. 70 times 7. You see, real forgiveness is enormously difficult. When you see forgiveness not as ignoring wrongdoing, but taking it with a complete seriousness, and at the same time, being willing to bear it. Eventually, we all crumble under the weight of that kind of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's not ignoring sin. Instead, it is a form of sacrifice. Now, third, forgiveness is full. It is full. The Bible often speaks of God's forgiveness having this unexplainable quality to it. We heard in our psalm earlier, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? You can't name this distance. Or our sins are thrown into the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea? Each time we think we've discovered the deepest place in the sea, we later find it's deeper than we thought. Uh, This is so fascinating. You know, it was first thought that the Mariana Trench, the deepest known place in the ocean, was a little over 8,000 feet deep. But later there was an area discovered within the Mariana Trench that at the time of this measurement was 35,760 feet. In 2009 they measured this area again and found it to be over 200 feet deeper than they thought. They measured once more just a year later in 2010 and it came to be over 36,000 feet. 
It, we don't know whether the sea's getting deeper or we're just discovering new depths. And this is the way it is with God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness. It's always deeper than we think. More powerful. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God applied Jesus' righteous, sacrificial death to you. He pardons your iniquity because of His Son, Jesus. He passes over your sin and delivers you from the death that you deserve. God knows your sin very well. Remember this. He's not ignoring it when he passes over it. He knows it intimately. But still, he covers it with his love. Do you believe this for yourself? Do you believe that God loves you in this way? That the death of Christ has been applied to you? That his blood has been put over your life so that when God looks down, he loves and passes over your sin? Are you receiving his love and mercy into your life? Are you trying to hold on to guilt? Because you're just not quite living up to your standards for yourself. Now lastly, to close off this picture of forgiveness. First, forgiveness is not ignoring sin. Instead, it is sacrificial. It is God's sacrificial work. Third, forgiveness is full. There are bottomless depths to it. And to close, forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is freedom. It is freedom from something and freedom for something. Forgiveness always sets us free from a guilt that we thought we had to bear. Haven't you ever been relieved to discover that a spouse or a parent or a friend wasn't angry with you in the way that you thought they were? You knew you had offended them. But once you started talking about it, you realized they weren't going to hold it over your head. They were really willing to relieve you of that guilt. If you received their forgiveness, you're set free. Free from the weight of guilt. And this freedom that you receive when they forgive you, even when it's something small, it opens the door to a new situation. It's like a reset button in the relationship. Each time you're forgiven, you're set free to try again. To start the relationship new. On a different footing. God sets you free from your sin so that you are able to live the new way that he's created you to live under his faithful love, within the realm of his care, and practicing his own way of sacrificial forgiveness. Now this is a full picture of forgiveness. It is not ignoring sin, it is sacrificing for it. It is full, and it is freedom. Freedom from guilt, and freedom for a new way of being. Now this kind of forgiveness... This kind of forgiveness is the most dangerous and most powerful for the world. This is the kind of forgiveness in which catastrophically broken, sinful people find new and transformed life through the Holy Spirit. 
when their sin isn't ignored, but instead they realize it's been sacrificed for, not held against them, forgiven in full, and they receive a new freedom to start life afresh. This is the kind of forgiveness on which rich and lasting marriages are built. When sin can be recognized and still forgiven, absorbed. This is the kind of forgiveness on which deep friendships are formed. When sin can be recognized, pointed out to one another, but forgiven and you can still be loved. These, th- this is the kind of forgiveness in which even nations are he- healed. Have you heard the stories of South Africa and Rwanda where there was destroying whole communities but then those who had committed the atrocities are brought before those that they committed crimes against are allowed to confess their crimes and are forgiven this type of forgiveness is how God's kingdom is birthed in our lives and how it grows up in our community and in the world. So, do you know personally the sacrificial forgiveness of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your life? And are you following Him so that you can practice this kind of genuine forgiveness in your family, in your friendships, in your work, and in the world? It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.